Welcome to Season 2 of For the Love of Farming. I'm your host, Tegan Moran, and this is a production of Oregon State University Extension Services, the Small Farms Program. In today's episode, I sit down with James from Sunwaves Farms, a dahlia and vegetable farm near Venita, Oregon. James is entering his fifth year farming and their third year farming on their own five-acre property. James came into farming with a background in military service as an aircraft rescue firefighter and EMT, an ongoing career in firefighting, working in veteran support services, and running a cafe at the Veterans Hospital with his wife. What started as an exploration of how to grow and make their own salsa for their cafe turned into an exploration of farming as a way of life for their family. James shares how they were able to access land through an owner-carry finance model, how they have made a sloped and forested piece of property work in their favor, how he fell for the beauty of dahlias driving down the road, and how he aligns farming with his goal of peace, tranquility, and overall well-being. I am grateful for James's open communication, generosity of time, and for trusting all of us with his story. This episode was recorded in October of 2023. Hello. Thanks for coming out. Yeah. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me out today and for giving me a tour. It's really exciting to see what you have going on. And I look forward to sharing with the listeners some more. Yes, me too. So to get us started, can you just lay the foundation and tell the listeners where we are and some basics about the farm? Okay. We're in Elmira, Oregon, I guess technically Junction City, uh, but uh, we claim Elmira. Uh, we're on our five-acre property that we purchased in August of 2019. We cultivate about a quarter acre of gardens and then some more gardens in fu- for future kind of um, things that we're just applying compost to. Um, I really caught the dahlia bug about three years ago, and we've really leaned, leaned into that. You know, going forward, we're looking forward to, you know, kind of going towards a nursery model and really producing some, you know, plants, different, different varieties, mostly flowers and food. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up on this piece of land. Yes. Um, do you lease? Do you own? Sure. Uh, a little bit about the arrival on the land, and then we'll transition into your arrival into farming. Okay. Well, my wife and I, Katie, uh, we met in, I think, 2016. Oh, she's going to kill me if that's wrong. And so we met, and we we all have children, and so we, we eventually moved into a house uh, downtown Eugene. Um, and that's where I, that's where I lived. I had an apartment there with my, my children. We wanted to buy a, a house. Uh, you know, we really, really wanted, we saw that as the next step. And so we 
We kind of knew that we wouldn't uh, necessarily qualify for, you know, like traditional financing and the traditional way of acquiring a piece of property. Um, and so, uh, we, we had some, we had a friend, um, that I was associated with that had a piece of property, you know, a, like a quarter acre city lot downtown. And she offered to like owner carry it for us. Um, and that was kind of our first experience of owner care is like, Oh, this is an option. Somebody owns a land and they can actually be your bank and sell it to you. I guess as we made an offer on this beautiful property downtown, um, it was within our budget and, you know, it it eventually when it went to sale, we were outbid by um, somebody with cash, which is disappointing, but also like if I had cash, I would put it down on that property too. So it was kind of, you know, so we, uh, at the time we owned a coffee shop inside of the Veterans Affairs Hospital here in Eugene. Sunwave Cafe. So the, uh, it didn't work out with this property uh, downtown. And we were talking about it with some friends in the cafe. You know, we were frustrated and whatever, but, you know, we knew it was something else would come up. And so there was a nurse friend that we had that uh, we worked with. And she said, hey, I got a piece of property. And she just showed us a picture of, it was actually not even a picture of our property, but a picture of the view that the, that the neighbor, like right over uh the crest has and it was it's a picture of fern ridge lake and so we're like okay well i'll come take a look and so um you know we came out here in august and uh checked out the property and we wanted it all you know even though we knew it was a uh let me just say this we we basically had to clip blackberries up the driveway just to get to the house so we you know we sat down with the owners they offered a an owner carry contract so we made an offer. They accepted. We, you know, it, other than just them being our bank, it was a pretty standard kind of real estate transaction between two parties. And so it worked out great. We had, we formed a contract. We had lawyers check it out. So really like, you know, we got into this property because somebody else trusted us and was able, you know, yeah. and also had a piece of property that they wanted to get taken care of. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. And also, just to describe the property, right, we're up a pretty steep slope. And so your property, your five acres, is pretty yep. much sloped and oh, yeah. densely forested when you first got here as well. Definitely. Yeah, uh, so. They had established a good stand of Douglas fir um, in the 70s, which was, which was great on a planning kind of process because we had a, a lot of good lumber and logs that we sold uh, to make to make the space for the new greenhouse, which is kind of cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so that's one of the infrastructures you put in place is this greenhouse. Do you want to talk a little bit about that since it's absolutely. connected to the dahlias? Absolutely, and we'll, we'll absolutely. Um, this is our um, second season farming here and our fourth season kind of being a farmer or calling myself a farmer. Interesting story on that is like when Katie, Katie and I got married right at the same time we bought the property and I trying to decide what I wanted to put down as my occupation on the marriage certificate and I wrote down farmer and that was kind of it I was just like all right this is this feels good so we were here on this property and uh, we I wanted to farm but we didn't have space for it so I from the 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 same people Stephen Stephen Flanagan and Sandra they had another piece of property that they farm with their animals and they had leased out um, in the past and it was vacant and so I basically walked into four commercial style greenhouses um that were left over from the kind of cannabis bus it was like well here i'm calling myself a farmer but i'm like walking into like i have no clue what i'm doing (laughs) but i might have all the tools i need to do it so like it was kind of just figuring that out 
So we did two seasons over there uh, in those greenhouses. And then we just decided we needed to move it here uh, to our property because we needed the control. I didn't want to have to drive there. Even if it was just three miles away, mm-hmm. just leaving the property just takes a lot of time. Yeah. And stops some progress. And so, so what we decided to log, uh, it was kind of, you know, it was a, it was a split decision because we had a lot of beautiful trees and a beautiful forest, but, uh, we also needed sunlight. And so we hired a local logger who was amazing and got his crew out here in the middle of the winter on, you know, 20, 30% grade, uh, and just got the job done. Yeah. Uh, and like I, I give props to, you know, Brandon Crover for getting it done. Um, this guy's, this guy's awesome. And so, you know, they logged and then from the profits that we made off of the timber that we sold, um, we were able to excavate like a hundred by 50 pad for, um, where we're going to put our greenhouse. Okay. And so we, we got a local grant from Lane County. It was not a farming grant, but it was just a local business grant. Okay. And right. And so we were able to finance, you know, so we financed half of the greenhouse just through lines of credit, and then we got a grant for the rest of it. So we built a 60 by 30 um, gable greenhouse that we got. Uh, let's see, we got it from Oregon Valley Greenhouse, um, just south of Portland. Um, they put, they built it, put together a kit for us, picked it up with a trailer and brought it home. And was, All right, let's put this together. Uh, <laughs> and this was like end of February, and I was trying to plant. Mm-hmm. In April or something. So it took us about five weeks, five, six weeks from like when the excavators were done. They gave us a 3% grade, which is really nice for drainage in the greenhouse and everything. And we just dug holes and put and built the greenhouse. And when you say we, who are you talking about? Who's helping you here? Uh, my children, my wife, and definitely a few work parties with friends nice. and beer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and pizza. You know, uh-huh. I mean. Okay. Wow. And... <laughs> So I'd like for you to share a little bit more about how you came into dahlias. Okay. But also, what was your path into farming, and what were you doing previously that okay. led you to this point? Okay. I, I can't necessarily tell you why I chose dahlias as our first major crop. Definitely, we did tomatoes and peppers and greens. Basically, we made our own. We grew our own salsa for mm-hmm. our first two seasons for the cafe. Mm-hmm. For um, the cafe that you still ran at the at, at the VA hospital, okay. okay. And so that was kind of how we got into like, let's uh, you know make a value added product and you know actually sell it at our own location. Right. Um, and it was successful in some ways and not successful in other ways. You know, you can't. It's hard to just walk into a, a garden and make make salsa. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of different processes that go in there. Um, and so, but, so while in our first two seasons of, of doing the tomatoes and peppers and salsa stuff, uh, there's a farm just down the road, Bushes Fernview, uh, and they've got a, they've got a dahlia patch out there. And I didn't even know what a dahlia was when I first started. Like I, I knew what a dahlia was, but I didn't know that was a dahlia. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I was just driving by and driving by and like, God, I look, you know, that's, this great little crop. Like I love those flowers. I love the colors. I love the shapes. I went and checked them out, you know, and so uh, I really just caught the bug. So we, I went to Costco and got some dahlia tubers and planted my dahlia tubers. And like, that was kind of our first step into dahlias. Uh, and that was three seasons ago. So yeah. And based on the, my observation, your greenhouse, you've come a long way from Costco yeah. tubers. To- you know, I'm a first generation farmer. My Katie's, uh, my wife, Katie's grandpa was a tomato farmer in California. Um, and I remember, 
I remember him saying one of the first conversations I had with him was in this just in this old guy twang. Um, you know, you can smell, you can sell a a greenhouse tomato for a good dollar. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I bet you you can. Mm-hmm. And then, but my really my first job, actual paid job, was a nursery in La Grande. And my mom had got me a job through a friend, and I dug, dug ditches for a couple weekends, and it was not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was always a meme with my mom and I is like, don't dig ditches, right? And that was kind of, you know, a philosophy that we grew up on. Uh, and here I am, like, I really enjoy digging now. <laughs> like, I, it's just what I do. So yeah. there's a lot of digging. And so, I, you know, when I was in middle school, I didn't really grasp that I was digging garden beds versus just digging a ditch. Right. Uh, which is, in high school, I played sports. I um, was very active. I think my mom kept me busy. Um, and, you know, as a sophomore, um, September 11th kind of just shook our world here. And I remember I was in a, you know, an early, early morning weightlifting class and we heard it over the radio and we we're like, is this real? And then we, you know, we found out it was real. And, uh, that was really when I decided that I wanted to be a firefighter. Let's see here. And so as a senior, trying to figure out what I'm doing, what I'm going to do with myself, you know, I wasn't quite ready to go to school. I didn't want to risk just hang around and not do anything productive. And so I joined the Marine Corps and, uh, that was kind of, I'm very thankful that I did. And, uh, it was, you know, probably one of the best decisions that I've actually made, uh, for a lot of reasons. And so I, so yeah, I served in the Marine Corps. I was an aircraft rescue firefighter in EMT. I deployed once I went to Iraq and then in 2007, I came home and uh, decided to start, you know, start a family and kind of set down roots and whatnot. I continued the the firefighting career. Uh, I uh, went to school, got my paramedic, you know, went to the best paramedic school I could find and uh, did that for, I mean, you know, including the Marine Corps, 12, 13 years. It was a great career. It was wonderful, but uh, definitely the the stress and the impact that it, that it has on your life kind of made me just decide that it, like, there's about a thousand other a thousand other things I could do with my life, and that's great, and it's literally a dream job. But there's about a thousand other things I can do with my life, and so that was kind of that was my personal push to explore different career options to do. You know, so um, I went back to school at University of Oregon. I was there for two years. Um, I never really fell into a program, um, a major that I could sink my teeth into, like the paramedic program that I was in before, um, and so I. Just happened to take an internship with um, Congressman DeFazio, um, working on veterans' issues with the VA. Mm-hmm. And then after the term, they had offered me they had offered me a position there to work with veterans and uh, answer phones. I worked with veterans and answer phones for a year, and that wasn't it either. It was great experience um, learning the political world, um, and also learning the, you know, the, the federal kind of benefit system in, in all aspects, not just for veterans, you know, social security, um, di- you know, disability and every, everything that affects people at a federal level. And after that, I kind of continued with the, the social work. I worked for the Eugene Mission, um, for a brief amount of time, kind of right as we were pur- bought this property. And, um, you know, that's when I first, I started my tomato seeds. And so, I really just kind of closed that chapter. Yeah. Uh, and started a new one. Yeah. The, the disruption was that perfect timing for it setting was. up the. It, al- it allowed the room for people to choose what they actually want to do with their day. 
Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I guess with that and being informed by your past experiences, as you're making decisions now in year four, Mm -hmm. what's guiding you? What guides how you make decisions? Because farming is a thousand one infinite decisions to be made. For sure. Uh, You mentioned one, the first big one about having to clear cut some trees to make space and light. Yep. For your growth here, can you share just a little bit about what guides you? Lifestyle is is why a lot of people get into farming, but um, and then the the need to pay your bills it comes with that. Like it, the dollar buys our food, and that's how we live. So like you have to make money, um, and that's definitely something that I'm learning as we go. Uh, but really, with farming, you know, I, and something I've learned this year is. Is like I, I like to lean into my successes. You know, lean into the things that feel good. Mm-hmm. We did really well with propagation and plant cells this year, um, and so I really want to lean into that next year. You know, I've, we've kind of developed a pole barn, you know, into an event space, and that feels really good. So I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna lean into that. Getting some milk and goats, and like you know, being a little more sustainable here on here on our farm feels good too. So like, you know, every day there's things that we have to do that don't feel good, but. I choose not to do that in an office or, uh, you know, in other things. I get to do it, you know, here. Yeah. Which is yeah. cool. It's part of what drives you. And so uh, you'd mentioned that you were selling to your cafe business. Mm-hmm. And then once you transitioned here and started moving more into the dahlias, mm-hmm. uh, where, where were you selling last yeah. season, for example? Sure. I think for anybody who really is really starting to plant sales or you know just anything like your first sales come from your friends and family (laughs) probably any kind of sales really your your first sales come from your friends and family so that was a again leaning into the things that feel good you know people were willing to buy my plants and um it was not really successful like last winter we sold a lot of to get dahlia tubers at um a holiday fair and we had to replace about 50 percent of those plants those Mm -hmm. tubers um because of uh, you know, I kind of risked the, the customers storing them and, and doing that. And that was a risk, but I also wanted to make customers. Yeah. And so I took that risk, but, uh, it, it worked out great because I, for every tuber that failed, I replaced with two, you know, if I sold two tubers, I replaced it with four live plants, um, in the spring. And so I have people who bought two tubers last year who are, are have already put in order for 10. I think I took a loss, but it's a win. You built the trust. Built, yeah, and that's you, what that's what the, it's like. The customers, the trust of the customers, is where it's at. So, yeah, yeah. I don't remember what the other part of that question was. Yeah, just the where where you're selling. So it sounds like family, yeah, and okay, friends, same, and local market opportunities. Yeah, that family, are in your community. family, friends, local market. Uh, we got in with the local Grange, and then the, the Vanita Saturday Market. Um, we've been there for three years. We've just experimented with the Saturday Market for the last three years. Um, the most successful is the plant sales. It's really nice. It's really nice to make a plant and then people walk up to you and just hand you a $20 bill for that plant. Like willingly and walk away with, with a happy plant. You know, happy plant, happy person. So I've found that farming is a solution to my kind of problem with peace and tranquility. And I've, most importantly, I think is veterans and people and first responders who have had intense, crazy lives. We can actually like, you can have a f- fulfilling life with farming or this, just this lifestyle, uh, whatever your farming niche may be. Yeah. 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 I appreciate that. And 
it segues nicely into my next question, All right. which is you, you left very high stress, high stakes work. And some would say farming is, can be equally as stressful. Sure. Uh, and physically demanding. Mm-hmm. So what do you do to take care of yourself? As you are in this farming space, sure. both mentally, physically, spiritually, however you think of your well-being. Um, that's a tricky one. You know, it's it's always a. Um, I mean, there may not be like one constant answer, but I feel like it, I definitely see a you know flux in different different seasons and different patterns with the things that I do on farming and then the things that I do in life. You know, I have four children, and so there's certainly enough to pull me away from farming. Um, and, you know, attending volleyball games and football games and soccer games and baseball games and everything else. Raising my family and, like, giving them the lifestyle that I didn't necessarily have and, you know, maybe giving them a step up um, is is kind of my core, like, life. And so, like, if I have purpose with my life, like, um, I think a lot of stress comes from not having purpose in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, when I, you know, I worked in emergency departments, I worked with ambulances and fire departments, and, and that's all great, and there's an amazing purpose there. I mean, you're literally changing somebody's worst day into the best day possible, and there's purpose there, but, like, for me, like, that wasn't my core purpose. That was a, gr- that was a good job. Yeah. You know, with raising my family and raising kids, if they get to see you doing what you love doing, um, I feel like that rubs off. And there's all, you always tell your kids to follow their dreams. You always want them to do that. Uh, but do parents really do that? And not all parents have that opportunity. Sometimes it's just, you know, feeding the kids and working and doing what you can to have a house. Um, and that's, that's all you can do. You know, when I was, um, working as a paramedic, um, I really noticed that like my job, was carrying over to my family and I was a single dad at the time and I would come home from the emergency department and I would pick up my kids from preschool and we would go have a good afternoon but I would just be stuck in the emergency department um, and so you know and this is something that happens with people who have post-traumatic stress and who have lived a life that is extreme um, and so I, I started to do a lot of looking into that. Uh, you know, why? What is that aspect? What is, you know, what is making me feel this way when I'm trying to like be at the park with my kids? Mm-hmm. Um, and so really realizing that, you know, my job is stimulating me in a way that's not allowing me to c- connect with people that are there in my life. You know, I started, started working with a, a counselor. At the um, at the Veterans Affairs Counseling Center, really helped me work through a lot of just life issues, mm-hmm. which were the effects of my life. I worked with a I've worked with a therapist. Um, I've you know I worked with my um, physician through the VA, um, and so I really I really put in feel like I put in a lot of groundwork mentally kind of before, you know, a few years before I started farming, mm-hmm. which maybe kind of led me to farming, mm. certainly. But, yeah, 
Yeah, is that answer it? I think that's yeah. the right answer. Yeah. Just my personal acquaintances and, you know, people I've worked with, firefighters and paramedics and, and Marines and soldiers and all of them, you know, these people really enjoy coming out to the farm and they really enjoy spending a time listening to that annoying rooster. <laughs> uh, and, you know, so if I can spend a day with a friend here on the farm, whether we're, we're doing this or we're digging or mm-hmm. whatever it may be, um, I think that's what farming should be about and not necessarily like how you make your ends meet. And, I think that may be the confliction that what we're talking about mm-hmm. is that, um, you know, farming is a way of life and it is a way of supporting your family. And if you can't do that, um, it's stressful. Yeah. Uh, whether, yeah. you know, with any career. And so, um, I mean, my personal opinion is we, you know, I mean, you have to pay your bills and you have to support your kids and you have to make that truck payment and that mortgage, but you also have, like, um, the dollar doesn't rule everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it shouldn't. Yeah. It does. It seems like it does, but it shouldn't. Yeah. Um, and so if you take the dollar, if you take the dollar out of your decisions and like, I mean, maybe you'll make different decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got to do certain things to live. Like, that's yeah. obvious. Yeah, and you know, something I say over and over again is the majority of our smaller farms are supplemented by some off-farm income, and it really is people leaning into a way of life where they supplement their food dollar costs, mm-hmm. uh, or they are able to you know, put the pieces of the pie together in a way that works, or they're in a situation they were able to take some capital and invest it that they can move forward with. And so right. kind of busting that myth, too, that it's like you're going to step into this and this is going to be a business that's going to necessarily yeah. sustain all your needs. And yeah. if that's not your expectation, then the farm, as a place of community, right. as a lifestyle for your family, or as a place that you know you can, can find tranquility and right. you know, stress relief, Right. Is a possibility. Um, I think, I mean, uh, we have a mutual friend who, um, you know, came out and toured the farm. And, uh, um, I guess my, you know, my advice to her, to her was, you know, and she's, you know, she's trying to farm and she's trying to make that her income in her life. Uh, you know, my advice to her is like, what over the next six months, like how much of your income can you replace with farming? Whether it's at 5%. Is that 10%? Can you take care of your car payment with farming or just selling eggs or whatever it may be? And then like next season, is it 12% or is it whatever it may be? And so it doesn't have to be an all in kind of thing with farming. It gives you an opportunity to do other things in your life. And this, this is maybe your hobby that can make some money. I would love to continue my work with like getting veterans into farming, even with that confliction or tension um what like you said whether it's farming as a farm as a career or if it's farming as just making eggs for your family um Mm -hmm. that can give a connection you know a connection to community in the land yeah 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 i don't know well i appreciate that yeah thank you well so from shifting from that you know what's happening here four years in to mark and farmer on the marriage right right so What's your 
biggest challenge or your most consuming challenges now? And most, uh, one of the biggest things I'm focused on right now is really just defining what I want to do as a farmer. And what do we, what do we do as a, as a business? And I feel like there's a lot of leeway there. Um, there's a lot of different niches you can do as a farmer. So I really, you know, I enjoy dahlias and I, and people enjoy dahlias. And so I, I've used dahlias to really grow, grow my understanding of plants and propagation techniques. And so I really seek dahlias as a, as a first kind of real big step of my learning process. And I feel like dahlias will, will always be kind of a base model of our business. Um, but I, producing more food. I want to produce more food for my family. Um, and then whatever else spills out, out to the market. Uh, if you're not feeding your family first, like you're just working to buy more food, which, you know, is kind of like getting out of this money kind of. So if I can grow a crop of beets and I can pickle them for the winter, like that tastes really good in the winter. I would like to have a, a steady presence of the Saturday market next year, full season. We didn't really have a full season there. After the plant sells, uh, my motivation kind of dropped and I really wanted to enjoy my Saturdays. Yeah. Like, Saturday markets are a grind. Mm -hmm. um, you prep the day before, you prep the morning before, you go to the market, you break down the market, you talk to everybody for four hours, <laughs> and then you come home and try to enjoy the afternoon. And it's like, and it's it's great and it's fun, and the kids really enjoy it. Okay. Um, yeah. But it, I like I like my Saturdays on the lake better or something, you know. <laughs> like that's why I want. I would love to have a farm stand. I don't want really to kill my Saturdays at the Saturday market. It's yeah. a wonderful place, and it's a good. One of my frustrations with every farmer's market that I've attended or sold at is that it's a uh, it's not a way of life necessarily. It's a tourist attraction for Saturday mornings, which is wonderful. And that's why I say you know the Saturday market is a good connection to your customers. A lot of a lot of people who sell at the Saturday market struggle paying their bills with the Saturday market, a like or any percentage of their income from the Saturday market, and so that's. So that's a problem uh, because if people aren't making money from the Saturday market, you're just kind of wasting your time. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I don't know how to fix that, but, you know, somebody will. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> In the meantime, figure out what works best for you and your system. For sure. So you're four years in. Mm -hmm. At this point, if you could go back to just getting here, is there anything you would do? differently is there anything you'd say hey james hey family or are you feeling pretty good about um, the steps you've taken in the past four years i feel pretty good about the last four years you know our first first two seasons out at um out at the flanagan property we you know really just dived in and we had another business, and so we had a little bit of investment money to kind of play around with, and we dove in and got way over our heads. And that's kind of been the theme every season. Uh, clearly, you saw our greenhouse, and it, we really got out of hand this year, which is okay. But, you know, our first season out at um, the Flanagan property, the, the wildfires of 2020 kind of killed our season in August. And also, I hadn't really learned that you really actually need shade cloth to grow tomatoes in a greenhouse. So that, you know, I learned that the hard way. And so the next season we got shade cloth and we doubled, maybe tripled our crop out there, took over a second greenhouse. And long story short, the crops, uh, somehow the doors got opened and deer came in and feasted. 
yeah. on everything down to the roots. And that was in August too. So like August has been tough for us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and our first two seasons, like it was great. We had huge successes, but it was really like just a letdown in August. And it was just, and so, um, you know, that was when we decided we got to move to this property. We have to bring it here. Yeah. I can't, I can't just put all my time and my effort into this farm down the road and then just let it be overnight. Keep it's, an eye on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would not recommend for anybody to to start farming on a hill. <laughs> I was wondering if this was going to come up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then, like, also, like, a clay hill. Uh, yeah. Because it's, everything is slippery. <laughs> um, but there are some benefits of, like, working on a hill. If you're on a flat piece of land, you have no extra soil. If you're on a hill, you can dig out as much soil as you want and put it where you want and then fill in the gaps. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, I'm a, you know, if you're, I have a piece of flat land, the gardens would already be flat, but I wouldn't have any extra dirt to do anything else with, or I would have to make a pond. Yeah, working with what you have and leaning, you know, you're talking about leaning into successes. And so mm-hmm. there's this opportunity, you know, some people would look at this and say, this is not farmable land. Right. And there's always options and it's understanding mm-hmm. what the land can do and yeah. what you're willing to do, yeah. you know, in, in its place. And, yep. you know, certainly greenhouses and creating that microclimate, being able to have a little bit more control about what happens, mm-hmm. bringing in your fertility and managing in that way is a great fit for what you have. Oh here. man. So it was, okay. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a process. Uh, you know, I, when I first learned about dahlias and learned that I wanted to grow dahlias, um, after my Costco dahlias, you know, I was like, all right, well, I need to find somebody who actually knows dahlias. And so I, uh, you know, hopped on Google and found, you know, who are my dahlia growers around here? And so uh, I found um, Rivers Dahlias just down the road in Vanita, and Eugene Kenyon and his family run that farm. I mean, the amount of knowledge that you can gain from somebody who has had 15 years of experience and who is willing and willingly and open to share that knowledge and also give you all of his extra tubers is pretty cool. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Eugene really just, he was like, hey, I got all these tubers. I'm going to throw in the compost pile, pick them up. That's how we got all of our varieties and our, you know, a good majority of our, um, of our dahlia tubers. And, and, um, he really, you know, blessed me with some, with some cool dahlias. Yeah. Whether it's farming or it's running a business or any, anything, you don't get anything done by yourself. There's always people out there who know more than you and have already done it. Well, you're segueing perfectly into cool. my next cool. question. All right, here we go. Which you just like, <laughs> you know, lined me right up, which is, you know, where are you going for information and support? So as you're navigating challenges or exploring mm. your next steps, it sounds like you know, your first strategy when dahlias were of an interest were to find people close to you in your community that could help share their knowledge. But where else are you going for information or support as you for sure. move forward? Um, you know, Eugene uh, really turned me onto a lot of a lot of books uh, about dahlias, specifically about dahlias, and some just annuals that garden clubs put out, uh, which I've gotten a, a lot of. There's an article from 2018 from the garden club up in Washington that basically has my business model in it. Uh, a lot of my knowledge comes from books. Picked up some books on like. Uh, the most profitable crops to grow in a greenhouse, which taught me how to trellis my tomatoes with string to the, you know, to the, to the rafters, which now I've used with dahlias and peppers and cucumbers. 
I think in farming and what, you know, my experience is, you, I mean, really you, you have to have other outside resources and you have to have help. Um, uh, you know, my, my friend Steven has a tractor that I borrow every year with a massive tiller on it. And I, I really could not break into these gardens unless I had access to that tiller. And I, I can't afford a tiller at this moment. And so I think, I really believe that small farmers, um, need to focus on collaboration over competition. He could, he could have kept his tractor and kept his fuel and, you know, he could have kept the resource, but he wasn't using it and I was able to use it and we got a, a project done, you know, and so you can do that with a lot of different things. If there's two tomato farmers that are right next to each other, like there's, there's no reason those two farmers can't collaborate instead of compete and both businesses succeed. And I feel like we get into this, this, this fight over the dollar as you're taking my dollar where I want my dollar. And, um, well, maybe both people can have a dollar. So I feel like setting up win-wins, um, and collaborating with our other farmers is really like how we get things done as a farm. Just to follow it up with, this is a nod to other farmer to farmer podcasts. What's your favorite tool and why? My favorite tool. Uh, it's got to be just a pocket knife. Uh, you, you know, just a good pocket knife. Um, I try to keep it sharp. <laughs> um, but as far as, like, garden maintenance and stuff, just having a, a hoe that you walk around with um, can save a lot of time and... Maybe you don't have to spend two days weeding. It's just, you just weed while you're walking. Okay. Uh, and so that has probably been some, and I, it's something that I've seen another, I saw another farmer on a, like a YouTube. He was just walking around and as they were talking and walking and touring the farm, he was getting his weeds and I was like, yeah, I can do that too. Like that's pretty good use of time. Yeah. So, yeah. um, so yeah, a hoe yeah. and a pocket knife a pocket is pretty knife. it. Well, I can't believe it. But on that note, this is our last question. All right, let's go. So the podcast is called For the Love of Farming. Can you just share? What do you love? What keeps you going? What what keeps you doing this on Mm -hmm. a steep slope in clay soil against all odds to really step into this way of life? I guess I'm going to say it again. Uh, this is what I want to do every day. And these are the opportunities that have been put in front of me. And you just got to make the best that you can out of what you get. For the love of farming, you know, it's just like the for the love of life or the for the love of the today. Uh, that's kind of where it's at for me. It's just like, what do I want to do today? What What do I have to do today? And then what I want to do today, and then what do I need to do today, and then keep this whole family ecosystem going. Yes. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. There you go. Oh, I love it. Uh, and then pay the bills at the same time. Well, yeah. I yep. mean, it's all, it's like putting the pieces together, right? 100%. Finding the system works. For sure. For sure. Well, then, just before we shut off the recorder, and this is some, this is like totally optional, but I do like to give space for if there's just anything else that you want to have in here somewhere. So just sort of the last, 
last thought of like, sure. oh, I wish I'd said, or this is something yeah, I well, really want to communicate. I think as a farmer, and especially as a, as a new farmer, you try to make everything, uh, you try to make the most out of every season as you can. You get four seasons, sometimes you break that up into a few different seasons, but you, you know, you, you try to make everything work for that season. Spring's planting time, you know, fall's composting time, and, you know, you just try to do what you can. Um, and so, something that I've really come to my, you know, something that I use personally and that I really want to use as a, um, maybe not a mission statement, but a, a, a part of our brand is that there's, an, there's always another season. Um, and I think that covers like the, the farming aspect that there's always another season and you, you know, you can do your tomatoes better next year and you can maybe, maybe your corn can be better, better next year. Like there's always a succession and maybe you didn't sell all your crop this year, but maybe next year you can. I think that brings it back to, you know, the, the kind of the mental health aspect too, is that there's always another season. There's a, there's always another opportunity to do better. If you mess up spring, you might be able to pull it off in summer. And if summer didn't work out, maybe next summer will work out. You know, like, people are so focused on short-term goals and short-term successes and short-term um, profits. If you, if you step that out for a few years, it, it takes a lot of pressure off. And, um, you know, people... People overplan what they can do in one day and underplan what they can do in a full year. And so if you go out to your farm with your sticky note of things you got to do every day, and usually I don't get half of them done, uh, and that's maybe kind of the goal, because then I take those for the next day or the next week or whatever. Um, but if you make an actual plan of what you can, what you want to achieve in a year, you got 365 days to make that happen, and it's actually pretty impressive what you can do in a year if you if you grind. Um, and so, there's always another season. There's always another opportunity, and um, and it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love that, and that's you know the farm teaching us so much more than <laughs> we ever can imagine. Oh man. And that's, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. For sure. It's a lifestyle, right? It's farming is a lifestyle. And with that is like problem solving a thousand times a day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, James, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me to your farm, for spending this morning with me as we transition into fall and the next season. And I just really appreciate your you know, open-hearted communication. So. Yeah. Um, Thank this you. is amazing to have you out in this opportunity. Um, anybody, if there's anybody out that's listening, you know, reach out to me, however you can reach out to me. Um, you know, I honestly like enjoy sitting here in this barn having conversations like this. So if somebody wants to come out and tour the farm, just let me know. Thank you for that, James. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Cool.
This has been a production of Oregon State University Extension Services, the Small Farms Program. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.